something today that I believe will be a blessing. Last Sunday, we looked at the things that could happen in a half hour. We looked at 30 minutes silence in heaven, the only place in the book of Revelation where there's actually a time, a time period. There's pr pr prophecy concerning times, time, half a time, which is three and a half years. But as far as the book of Revelation, it's an endless book. But for some reason, God chose to put in there that there's going to be 30 minutes of silence. And so for the fun of it, I encourage you last week to do some cool things this week in a 30-minute window. Did anybody... Anybody participate in any of that at all? Anybody? Oh, you, you did. What did you do? Wow. How cool is that? That's put that husband to work. On his birthday, too, 25 at birthday, you had him power clean the house. I, I jotted down, I'm sure I don't have everything, but just the 30 minute windows that I thought about uh, out, of the, out of the last seven days, four of those days. I got up and read a book for 30 minutes before I went out. Uh, I went to Chattanooga to uh, lead a dying woman to the Lord. I got a text that said she's dying, and, and the young man didn't know how to lead her to the Lord, but we, dro we drove over there and le led her to the Lord. Uh, I've been negotiating with a young lady we're trying to get into Hope House. I spent about 30 minutes encouraging her, praying for her. Uh, I brought almost 150 pounds of clothes to the Hope House to be used for their, their, their ministry. Uh, I spent 30 minutes watching a Disney channel with Christine, and that was fun. I held the baby yesterday while Courtney went and did a little shopping. Uh, we, went to, uh, we went to Dalton Thursday night to honor a man of God that our, min our marriage was healed under his ministry. I was preaching revival. Rhonda was at, at Lee. She came. We got healed. He, uh, 52 years of full-time ministry, 50 years at one church, 50 years at one church, and that was... And, you know, for what it's worth, it's not really, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. But we went, and he was honored by several great men of God there. And then by video, uh, Perry Stone, Marcus Lamb, Tim Hill, and Raymond Cole honored him by video. And then Ron and I were honored as the couple that our ministry was healed uh, under his covering. And, and we, that was, that was kind of cool. Uh, I did not know that they'd ask us to speak. Pastor Ron said no. But if I'd have known that as a speaker, I probably would have. And we didn't know that until we got there that we were on the program. But it was, it was, a, it was a fun time and uh, a fine investment. Uh, Wednesday night, I got to be a part of an incredible Bible study concerning Esther. Uh, yesterday, I made 20 pounds of jerky. Uh, day before yesterday, I spent 30 minutes in the garden, just 30 minutes pulling weeds, kind of organizing, trying to see what's, what's coming up and what's not coming up. Uh, I went to Chattanooga four times this week to pray for the young lady that gave her heart to the Lord. I uh, went four times to my parents this week, just sat around, drank iced tea, and visited watching uh, uh, whatever they watched, that uh, Jeopardy. And I, I took, went two times to Pastor Rhonda's parents' house and just enjoyed her mom, enjoyed my sister-in-law. Uh, I, I came to the church twice this week and, and touched every single chair and prayed for you. And then I got on the keyboard and played some songs to the Lord. That was, that's always cool that I did that. I, uh, I counseled a dad who his sons were carrying weapons, and they made some threats, and it was kind of a heavy, so I spent about 45 minutes trying to encourage him. Uh, I took down some Christmas tree decorations. I, I studied last night for 30 minutes on this message. I studied 30 minutes a day, and then I just enjoyed 30 minutes of worship. So 
just little things that that you can do to focus to change your life. And I had to I had to a nudge this morning. It's like you know the praise and worship team ministered as if there were a thousand people here, and some of you worship like there was a thousand people here. So this morning I want to teach uh, like there's a thousand people here, and I want to I want to just begin in uh, Acts the first chapter. There's a there's a there's a passage there I'm looking for. Let, let me go to, to verse 9. Man, I can barely see this. Okay. Are we ready? Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same, you say that word with me, same. This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. What an incredible day. What an incredible day for the disciples there to be gathered with the Lord. He gives them a commission to go into the world. And then while they're watching, uh, there's probably some kind of cyclone or tornado or and he is taken up, and they, they, they're staring up in the clouds. And we believe the men in white apparel were probably angels. And they said, why are, you, why are you looking into heaven? The same Jesus. And that's kind of the thought that I would like to determine today. The power of consistency or the power of the same, uh, same old, same old. Look at somebody, same old, same old. I think Aerosmith had a song entitled, Same Old Song and Dance. And my... And my, probably some other same things. But I just uh, made a list of some of the things in my life that are the same. They're consistent. They do not change. And that is the Big Mac at McDonald's. It's always going to have the same sauce. It's, it's always going to taste like it tastes. There's the Whopper at Burger King. And that has a certain sauce. And that's always going to, oh, you're going to get hungry by the time I'm done. I promise you. Uh, Arby's has that Reuben, that new corned beef sandwich. I love that Reuben. Taco Bell has that grilled steak stuffed burrito. It never changes. Cracker Barrel's biscuits and gravy. How many are feeling me there for biscuits and gravy? Wendy's probably has the best chili that I know of in, in the city. And then I think about Outback, that little six-ounce uh, flame uh, ribeye I get with mushrooms and oh, extra butter, extra sour cream, a big old salad with too much ranch dressing. And then I think about Sonic, the best onion rings probably in the world. Dunkin' Donuts, uh, the jelly rolls are incredible. And uh, it seemed like last year my fudge was consistent. It seemed like last year my ice cream was consistent. And I'm learning that my jerky is consistent. So I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of impressed with the same things that you do over and over again. And I thought, about, I thought about the monotonous. A lot of times there are things in our life that we feel are monotonous. People feel like it's monotonous to shave so they'll grow a beard. People feel like it's monotonous to clean their cars so they never do. But the every, the, am I telling the truth? Can anybody relate? Some of us feel like it's monotonous to hang up our clothes and we throw them all over. And, you know, I got one room that I put my church clothes on and one room I put my work clothes on, and neither one of them are like the closet. But that's just kind of where they, and then I feel like I'm doing Pastor Rhonda a favor by hanging up my clothes. And I mentioned it two or three times. And if by chance I load the dishwasher, I make sure, remind her, hey, I loaded the dishwasher today. Like that was, that was something incredible. But when I think about the same old, same old things, I want to stay close to my notes today because I really believe I have a really good word 
But when I think about the same old, same old in my life, I have pastored the same church for 25 years. I've been married to the same wife for 30 years. I've been driving the same vehicle for 15 years. I've had the same phone number for 20 years. I wear my hair the same way for the past 45 years. I have the same mustache I had 42 years ago, and it's only been shaved twice in the history of having a mustache. I have some sports coats in my closet from back rack that are 25 years old. I have a browning fleece uh, that I wore to Alaska in freezing cold weather. I think that was 30 years old. And you know what? When I think about the same old, same old, it's like there's been some good, good times in the routine. There's been some things that if you constantly pursue and you constantly go after, and I know we're, we're so bad to talk around the first year, we're so bad to talk about vision and, 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 and what, the, what are the resolutions we make and we write them down and we really want to do them. And, and I think if we ever followed up on just one or two of the lists that we made, I think it would incredibly phenomenally change our life and give us a better opportunity to be what God's called us to be and to do what God wants us to do. This is, we serve a dimensional God, and he's actually in seven different dimensions. And he has taught us that we can, through, through his blood, we, we're no longer a sinner. And by serving him, we become a lamb. And then by doing what he wants us to do, we become a servant. Then we become a friend. Then we become a, song, a son. Then we become the light. Then we become the word. That's the transition that God wants every one of us to focus on and to pursue. It's not like all of a sudden you're 30, you've arrived. No, there's so many incredible things that God has for you throughout the years. And if we'll stay consistent to the basics or the monotonous or maybe the boring, there is a very good possibility that God could let this year literally be the best year of your life. Would it not be that just... Just there's a, there's a day marked on a calendar. It's God's calendar. It's God's mark. I don't know that he lines up with January, February, March. The Hebrew calendar does not line up like that. March, I think, is the first year of the month. But, you know, as we make a, a, a plea and we make a commitment, there's a very good possibility that God could honor that commitment, and this could be a great season, and this could be a great year. Do I have a friend in the house say, absolutely, out with the old, in with the new? When I think about practice, and you've been with me, some of you have been with me long enough to know that I've realized that practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Right practice makes perfect. I've shared with you, and I will not tell you, I spent a lot of time today with my golf game. My golf game is now a joke, literally a joke. But there was a season when there were some of the guys in the church, and some of the pastors go preach where they played golf. And there was a season where I really thought, you know, I, I want to I play golf. This, this has got to be fun. It's got to be, I got some golf clubs, and I can whack the ball. I'm telling you, I could put the hurt on the ball. But you never knew which fairway it was going to wind up in. And, I mean, I could, I could hit the ball out of the sand, but instead of hitting little ways, it would go like several hundred yards. Like, and, and it's like, I said, this, this golf game is not, I'm not really doing very well. Then you know a pro started going to our church, spent some time with this, and made the infamous statement, he said, Pastor, you have perfected your mistakes. You do it wrong every single time. I appreciated his honesty, and, and he, he began to tweak my hands over, and I began to stand up straighter, and I, and I began to turn my head and swim my body into it. And I actually, it got pretty good until I fell out of a tree and broke both my wrists, and so my golf game 
is absolutely no more. But when I think about that, I think about that practice correctly, the things that we do. Most of you know that when Pastor Rhonda left uh, Southern California, I weighed about 119 pounds. And uh, God miraculously on that Sunday night delivered me from drugs, alcohol, tobacco, all that, all that. In just one moment, God, I didn't have to go to rehab, but God did all that, and, and I appreciate that. And as I'm, as I'm going back to work now, picking up my tools, contracting some jobs, uh, my brother invited me to go with him to a place called Adam and Eve. Uh, it's an incredible uh, gym in Southern California. And uh, so I went. I, I played about 30 minutes racquetball. And, and Josh, I got so sick. I got so nauseated. And I said to myself, you know what? This is the only body I'm ever going to have. And I've abused it, but now I'm going to rebuild it. I'm going to get back into shape. I'm going to start getting involved. And I became literally a weightlifting junkie. It was, a, it was just a season in my life that it was something that I did. And I remember that when I first started lifting weights, and you know, you measure your bicep, you measure your tricep, you go work out hard for 45 minutes, you come back, and you measure your bicep, and you measure your tricep, and nothing's changed. You put two or three hard, heavy hours. Am I talking to anybody in the building? I mean, man, I was working. I was, I was trying to. But it, it took about six weeks for the muscles to realize that I was serious about tearing them down and then flooding them with protein and flooding them with, with growing. I started working out, and I started enjoying it. And, and then most of you know that have been with me a while, I had the privilege. I have met uh, Lou Ferrigno before he was a Hulk. I met Arnold before he was a Terminator. I lifted weights with Rachel McClish, who was the number one bodybuilder in the nation for years and years and years. And then I had the opportunity to, to, to lift with Bob Birdsong, who wanted to be a national co uh, competitor. But Mike McLennan was Mr. Teenage America. He was Mr. California. Uh, he was steroided out. He was very much involved. He would give himself injections. But he was... He was he was a bodybuilder. He wasn't a weightlifter. He was a bodybuilder. And after about, I guess, about maybe three months into, into working out, Mike approached me one day, and he said, hey, he said, I'd like for you to be my workout partner. And I said, you've got to be. I led him to the Lord. He's going, going to church with me. And I said, you've got to be kidding. I said, I can't even put the weight up on the, on the bench that you're, you're lifting. He goes, no. He, goes, he said, it's not about what you can do. It's about what you are. You're consistent. You're here every single day. I even go on Sunday sometimes and work my abs and my calves. And I said, I said, okay, I said, I'll start, I'll start working out with you. And so, Mike, there were so many little tricks and so many little things. But what I learned in a lot of the weightlifting in the bodybuilding, I was doing it wrong. And I'll show you how I was doing a curl. And Mike said, you're doing it all wrong. He said, do it like this. Don't use your thumbs because that eliminates the deltoid or just the bicep. Hold the bar like this. Lean up against something and just slowly bring it like that to your chin. Now, there was a time. <laughs> thank Very you. Good. There was a time when I could accurately curl 180 pounds. But I tell it like it used to be. And I have a picture of my wallet, what I used to look like. Anybody threatens me, I just show them that picture and say, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not good, this picture is going to beat you up. But, but, I, but I learned in that. And there were so many, 
there were so many things that he, that he taught me, and, and obviously the protein, the protein shakes, and there was a season in my life when I had a gallon of milk between my legs, and everywhere I would go, I would drink that gallon. I did protein. I could make a protein shake that had 100 grams of protein. And so it was all about doing the right thing and practicing the right thing to get the right results. And I learned there were times when um, there were girls and guys working out there, but there was no girls there that I was interested in. But I remember there were times when I would, I would get up and I would say, man, I'm not sure that I want to go. And then I flex my 17 and a half inch bicep. And I said, yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll go. And I wear real, you know, real tight shirt, you know, with all my muscles showing. And, and so there were times when I tried to talk myself out of going, but the results of yesterday motivated me to pursue even greater the results of tomorrow. And so your past, we talked last Sunday, is not always your enemy. There are good things that you learn in your past. There are good things that you have done that you have been consistent with. And I, I've written down here, if you embrace the monotonous, you will experience the greatness. If you embrace same old, same old, this same Jesus, which walked with you for three years, taught with you, this same Jesus coming back in the very way you saw him leave is the very same way he's coming back. And so we look at this. And, and again, those who've been with me for a while, you know that a lot of the things that we share will be on Facebook and we'll have thousands of, of uh, visits. And so I'm, I might be redundant today, but two things in my life concerning metamorphosis and osmosis, you know, I, I remember as a child that I would see a cocoon on the ground and I would pick that cocoon up and much to my amazement, it began to move. Has anybody ever picked up a cocoon that had life in it? And you have, uh, we need to get find some, we need to get some, South Georgia, get some cocoons. Anyway, they would wiggle. They would, they would, they would wiggle. It was like, was it good and plenty of the ones that used to, anyway, it looked like a good and penny, but, but it would move. And you would pick it up and hold it and say, man, this is so cool. Not realizing that in that cocoon, there's an ugly, ugly caterpillar that chose to sequester himself and chose to submit to a season in his life where he allowed things to crush him, strangle him, break him, bust him, remold, remake, and then when that cocoon bursts open, the monarch butterfly flies out. And, and, and I don't know if you've ever been to Chattanooga, the uh, aquarium, but they got a room there called the butterfly room. I mean, it's the coolest room. Sometimes I feel like the little mermaid when the butterfly lands on my head. And you look at these beautiful butterflies and, and you realize they weren't born that way. They weren't created that way. They were the ugly duckling. They, they, they were nothing. They, I mean, you can't even use a caterpillar for fish. Even fish won't eat a caterpillar. But when that caterpillar submits to what God had ordained and what God had planned, and I challenge any atheist to, to find in me how the cocoon survives without the help of God. And then the other thing when I think about, and that, that's, the, that's the osmosis pro process. And, and I think about that grain of sand in the mouth of the of the oyster, you know, I've shared this with you so many times, but how, how every time that oyster tried to regurgitate that grain of sand, the, 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 the coating that would go in that grain of sand, and the next thing you know, you're looking at a beautiful pearl, and pearls are, are awesome, and I probably should get Ronald some pearls because everybody else in the church seems to be getting pearls. But sometimes we will see something that is like, wow, there's, there's no way that could have happened. There's no way that could have taken place. The wow moments in our life, you're going to learn our direct results 
a monotonous, mundane, same old, same old, over and over and over, same old song and dance. I want to share with you, if I may, a um, Odell Beckham is a wide receiver for the Giants, and I don't know if they won this particular game, but the guys are going to help me with this clip. Can we do it without the lights? We're going to show it again. And Brandon Carr was back there. I mean, he is insane. How do you make that catch? Oh, my goodness. This is sick. Put this to music. I don't think he stepped out either. That may be the greatest catch I've ever seen. Watch it again. You have to be kidding me. That is impossible. That is absolutely impossible what he just did. Okay. That may be the greatest catch I've ever seen in my life. It's in the conversation. Wow! Oh, was that incredible? I mean, what an incredible, phenomenal catch. And we think we watch it and, and it wows us. But did you know that an end and a quarterback will practice hours and hours upon hours where the quarterback will throw it to the sideline or throw it to that, that goal line marker and that 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 tight end or wide end is trained to dive and catch the ball out of bounds and bring it inbounds and score. And the reason that he made that catch is because every single day in training, he practices that catch. He goes after that catch. It's the, it's the catch that the, that the linebacker couldn't reach. And the linebacker actually penalized him, but he still caught the ball. Did they, they win that game? Did it? I didn't know if they won it or not, but just, just watching that one play would be worth the whole game. And it's, and it's kind of like, say, again, same thing, same way. Practice the things that you know to practice and be the very best at what you're being the best at. Uh, the, the life of Joshua was such a great life because he was one of the 12 sent in the promised land. He and Caleb came back and said, the giants are too big to miss. Attitude, like Alex had yesterday in that wrestling match. But the other 10 spies said the, the giants are too big to hit. They got outweighed. And the pop, the pop of demand, they did not go into the promised land. They did not pursue Jericho. Jericho was the key to Canaan. Once they conquered that city, they conquered city after city after city after city. And you know the story. Joshua and Caleb was faithful to God, faithful to things of God. And when that generation died out, only the generation of Joshua and Caleb remained. They were the old guys like me. They were the elders. And Joshua heard from God. God told Joshua, here's the way we're going to take the city of Jericho. And, you know, a, a couple of months ago, we had the privilege of going back to um, my roots, California. And I went to the house that my, that my grandparents, and I stayed with them quite a while when I was working as a contractor. And, you know, the, the house I remembered was not the same. That house wasn't there anymore. It was, like, real small. It was real tacky. The yard was real junky. It really wasn't all that. And then we went to the house that I bought when we got married there on Balboa Street in Huntington Beach, and I'm sure that house is probably a five or $600,000 house. But when we drove by, it's like, I don't remember it being that dingy. I don't remember it being that, can anybody relate? So, so I think, I think a, lot of, a lot of times, just the consistency of knowing that you've done something well and God's going to bless it, that's, that's where Joshua was at. That's where Caleb. Caleb said, you know what? I'm 80, but I feel today as good as I felt when I was 40. Let me touch on a couple times and wear him out a little bit. But they said, I'm going to take the land that God has given me. And this key to Jericho 
is for them to walk, march around the city. Y'all know the story. And the only thing they had to do when they marched around the city was to be quiet. Don't say a word. Don't. And if you'll look at the seventh day, which is the number of completion, the seventh day, Brother Gerald, they marched around it seven times, which tells me it wasn't that big of a city. The walls were high, but it wasn't that big of a city. And I think a lot of times that we, we confront things in our life that, that are so big that we're overwhelmed by it that we feel like we can't change, we can't, we can't do any better, but we can. And whether it's one small step, whether it's one commitment, whether it's one bringing someone into your life, and I'll, I'll focus on that in just a minute. But the, the, key, the key to conquering Canaan, getting started, was the hardest part of that journey. They had to get everybody organized, everybody marched a certain way, everybody knew what they had to do. I think, I think a lot of times, um, be careful what I say here, but a lot of times we will buy stuff or we'll be motivated to get stuff or we just can't live without that particular toy and then we get the toy and then we never open the package, we never use the toy, we never, I remember a few months ago, I couldn't live without Smallville 14. I couldn't. We had to have it. We had to, 14, sir. We had to have it. And I went with Pastor Ronda McKay's, which is a great place to, to just ha- have a blast with a little money. And, um, and so there was, there was the, last, the last season of Smallville, and I've always been a Smallville fan, and I said, I got to have it. Gotta, and it was like, it wasn't like 10 or 12. It was like a little more. It was like, and so we got the Smallville, and we took it home, and we set it where the DV set. And, 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 and we walk past it as we walk past DVDs. But to this day, I have yet to open the Smallville DVD and watch one of them. It's there. I mean, I want to watch it. I want to I spend time with it. But sometimes it's just a matter of getting started. It's like, it's like the Suburban. I mean, right now, if you look at the back of the Suburban, you would say there's no hope for the Suburban. There's dirt, there's plants, there's tools, there's hunting stuff. There, I spilled coffee so many times that stale milk is in the, in the carpet. And it's like I, every day I get up saying, you know what? I think I'll clean the suburban today. Then, no, I got all kinds of things I don't do. And I keep procrastinating and I keep putting it off. But, but the day's going to come where I'm going to go out there and clean it. And you know what? I'll, I'll be proud driving it because it's all, not all nasty and grungy. Do I have a friend in the house that... that Revelation that God gives us, whatever the revelation is, whether you are to fast or whether you are to pray or whether you are to sow or whether you're involved in leadership, that, that, that revelation in response to that revelation, as you pursue obedience, you will receive the best that God has for you. He's not a leftover God. He's not a secondhand God. He's not a McKay's kind of God. He said, if you be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. Let them say that the Lord hath pleasure in the prosperity of his children. God wants to bless his children. And I like that statement that Pastor Rhonda made about the, the, uh, the teacher saying, there are answered prayers out there that we've not, we've not claimed. There's a- answered prayers that, that we haven't reached out to. And on the seventh day, this, you know the story, the walls fell flat. But the city couldn't have been that big because on the seventh day, they marched seven times. And we're not talking about 30 or 40. We're talking about two and a half million people. We're talking about two and a half people circled this city. And they intimidated this city so well, you know the story where the, the, the spies were held by Rahab the harlot. And she said, 
Everybody's talking about you. They're talking about your great God, how he brought you out of Egypt, how he provided the, the, the manna, how he made water flow on the rock. And they didn't realize how awesome and phenomenal they were to the world. I think a lot of times that we, we feel like we may not be that significant or that important, but we're faithful, we're loyal, we're consistent. I mean, that in itself, and, and in this 34-year window of ministry, I have learned that there are people that act like they don't give a flying fit what you do, who you are, but the moment, the nanosecond, the bottom falls out of their boat, they're on the phone to you. They're coming by your house. They're dropping by. They know where you go, and they're going there to show up, and, and they want to hear what you have to say. And I think a lot of times we, we degrade ourselves, and, and we, we do not emphasize the importance that if God be for us, then who could possibly be against us? If we are the apple of his eye, he that dwelleth in me, he's going to dwell in us. And I'll, I'll share that in a minute. I've got a, a question here or a statement here. There was a 300, and I wasn't, I, wasn't a, I wasn't a weight lifter. I was a bodybuilder, and there's a difference. Weight lifters will jerk hundreds of pounds, and, and they don't have, but the, the point is to get it up or to cor or bench press it. But that was not, my, that was not my, 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 my agenda. My agenda was I wanted to look good. And so we had, a, we had a statement around that I put on the dash of my car, and I put on the, on the refrigerator home. It says this. You got to see it to be it. You got to see it to be it. And I remember that 300 pounds was, it was actually 305 pounds, was so intimidating. I weighed 170 pounds and I wanted to bench press 305. I wanted it the right way without jerking it or bouncing it. But it was like I could do like 290 and I could do like 285 and 275. I could do that twice. But that 300, it was a, a mental block. It was a, and then all of a sudden, I started seeing myself do it. And I started talking to the bar. <laughs> the bar didn't talk back, but it was just, you know, it was just something that seemed to help me. I said, okay, buddy, we're going to get it this time. We're going to, we're going to, hoo yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make it happen. But I had to mentally see myself do it before I could actually do it. You've got to see yourself as a good wife before you're going to become a good wife. You've got to see yourself as a good administrator before you become a good administrator. You've got to see yourself as a good mom before you become a good mom. It's, it's all in that. It's all in that. I don't want to say karma, but it's all in the stuff that God put in us that we are to walk in that favor and walk in that blessing. Pastor Ron and I, there's a church that we very much love. It's uh, North Central Assembly of God. I preached there several times, divorced, and when God restored us, we've been back several times. But there was a... Um, a particular message I preached on, and I think the, the message was something like blab it and grab it or see it and be it or name it, claim it. But it was a motivational, it was a great church, and, and uh, there was a young lady there that she really, I'm going to be as nice as I can, uh, she really wasn't attractive. Uh, she really did not have a, a nice figure. Uh, she really was not dressed all that well. But it seemed like when I gave the altar call, she was the first one there. And uh, she prayed and cried, and we, we all stayed in the altars and prayed. It was a great church. And then we went back to the church three months, six months. This girl had completely done, a, a, I mean, a makeover. Like her hair was all real nice, and she was tan, and she was slim. And we were blown away. Of course, the pastor's wife told us the story. She had gone to a Carmen concert. And when she found out that Carmen wasn't married, she purposed in her heart, I'm going to get fit. Now, she did, not, she did not marry Carmen, 
but that motivation for her to pursue the very best that she could be, to be something you've never been, obviously, you have to do something you've never done. And the, and the question there, what, what are you doing extra, or what are you doing outside the box to pursue some goals? Do you have any goals? And then I'm, I'm reading this book by Mark Batterson, an excellent book. He, make, he, make, he asks the question, he says, are you following Jesus, or is he following you? Are you following Jesus, or is he following you? Is our weekend just a wonderful time at the church? We fellowship, we dance, we pray, we get the word. And then the rest of the week, we don't apply anything at all that we learn in the house of God. We didn't respond to any of the needs. I told you last week about wounded warriors and the animals and the, and the children. My Lord, I want to write my whole check out and send it to the, the wounded animals people or self-volunteer sometime. So you know what? There, there are nudges and there's unctions that God puts in your spirit that you need to, to pursue it. I wrote down here. Repeat the right things, and you become successful when routine is a reward. Repeat. Uh, when, I started, when I started lifting weights, I saw all the guys in there lifting weights, and, and, and some of them were built. Some of them have been working out a long time. And there was, a, there was a mindset that I had, and that mindset was, if you can do it, I can do it. If you can do it, I can do it. I didn't start over. I just began again. I just, I just stepped into where I knew God wanted me to be. I stepped in where I knew that God wanted me to, to, to operate. It was just that was a window that I was in to help me to restore me. And I wrote this down. If you miss the monotonous, you're probably going to miss a miracle. If you, miss, if, if you refuse to stay focused and, and, and content in the, on the path that you're on, you probably are not going to see what God has for you. And I, I, I jotted some things down here about routine results, reward. I thought about it, diet change. You know, almost without exception, every day there is a girl, Marie Osmond, that's advertising this product, and they guarantee five pounds in five days, or I don't know what they guarantee her. But you know what? You've got to buy it. You can't, you can't, you got to buy it. And sometimes what happens when we feel like it's important enough for us to pay for it, we're going to follow up and do it. Does that help anybody? I mean, I don't want to go to a, a golf coach and spend $100 an hour learning how to hit a golf ball and not following up and doing what he has to say. Do, do I have a friend in the house that can relate to that? So I, I talked about a diet change, changing your diet, hanging around people that are losing weight, find out what they're doing. I had a, I wrote down here, Stop smoking. And the, our, our Hope House girls aren't here, but I was going to teach you how to stop smoking. It's very easy. When you buy your cigarettes, take one out, crush it, throw it away, and smoke the other 19. <laughs> your second pack, take two out, crush them, throw them away, and smoke the 18. Third pack, take three out. Do you see where we're at? Something happens. This is mine. This is not. I didn't read this by Dr. Phil or Dr. This is something the Lord showed me. Something about watching those cigarettes being broken, thrown away, it's like, well, this is a waste of money. Well, yeah, this is a, yeah, well, yeah, it's a waste of money, especially if you're breaking them and throwing them all away. I mean, if you're dumb enough to follow that counsel, you're probably dumb enough to stop smoking. Read a self-help book. My Lord, there's 100 books in my library about being a better dad, being a better husband, being a better Christian. Budget, ministry, motivation, your gifts, your calling. I got a book, I think, that tells you how to deal with idiots. 
something of that. It's not, it might not be. But it, how, how to deal with the idiots. Uh, Rick Renner has a book on how to deal with the idiots in your life. I think everybody should read that book. I think it would really help them to determine that they're not an idiot. And they, <laughs> I, I wrote down here, surround yourself with godly mentors. Pray a little. Learn how to listen. Um, be very, very careful how you say this. I was not offended. I was not disappointed or upset. But the door opened for Christine and I to go to Pastor Billy's and minister. And I had a day, I had a day open. And there was a, there was a church there in, in Florida, kind of a young church. Young, everybody, the, the praise and worship's young. The pastor's young. Everybody's young. And so I let the pastor know that I was in town. And there's no expenses. There's no motel. There's no meals. I'm here. I'm, I'm taking care of myself. Would you like me to come and minister to your, to your church? He had a, another one of the staff pastors was preaching that Sunday morning. And so it was like, man, we'd love to have you, but we've got something booked. We've got something planned. 23 years ago, when I went between service number one and service number two, there was a man in my office waiting for me. His name was Dr. E.L. Terry, who has preached to thousands. E.L. Terry would go see a prison and, and inmates would scream out his name because E.L. means L, the name of God. E.L., we know who you are. We know. When he came to pray for me one day, he laid hands on me and says, Devil, you know who I am, and we've been here before. And you're going to lose, devil, because we're going to, we're going to. And you know, that's, that's his demeanor. That's his, he's dead now in heaven, and uh, we, we appreciate his ministry. But the moment I realized he was with us, I said, why don't you, why don't you preach today? It was a great word. He, he had a great altar service. He called out one girl in the whole altar service. Called her out, had her open her Bible, Psalms 91. She already had it marked. He had her read some of it, pray with her that night. Her ex-husband murdered her in our parking lot that night. So had I been so fluffed up that I'm too good to let anybody else to preach, or I, it's my pulpit, I'm here, I got, a, I got a message for her. Had I had that mindset, I don't know that she would have been ministered to, and I don't know if her heart would have been ready for God to come and get her. But, but when you allow your mentors, and, and I wrote that down, you know, everybody needs a, a mentor in your life. You really do. Okay. When you practice correctly, you have to learn to expect something to happen. I remember with the, with the seed. That seed has incredible, phenomenal potential. But if you don't get that seed in the right, the right dirt, it'll never produce. That seed needs to be watered with your tears and watered with the word. That seed needs to be fertilized by all the bad things that happen to you in life, all those life lessons that you learn. That seed daily has got to have sunlight hitting that soil, and that's a, that's a reflection of Jesus Christ in you. And it's not the first day. It's not the second day. Sometimes as much as a month will transpire. You go out there. You know the seed's there. You planted it. You're watering it. And then all of a sudden, it's like you go out there and go, We've got, we've got growth. We've got, there's a breakthrough. The, it's, it's growing. And I, I have never got over the phenomenon of the seed and what it could do. I was taught when I went to Indiana to do full gospel businessmen, the number one pickle grower in the world, the number one pickle grower in the world, told me that, that 
expectation. If you don't expect something to happen, it probably won't. You're not going to water it, not going to feed it, not going to take care of it. But if you know you put it in the ground and you know it has the potential to do what it has to do, he told me one kernel, one kernel of yellow corn planted correctly and fertilized correctly will produce over 8,000 kernels in one kernel, 8,000. In and you, know, you, look at, you look at God's measurement. I'm going to bless you sevenfold. I'm going to bless you 30-fold. I'm going to bless you. He is the God of abundance. And he's just looking for somebody that's not afraid to get out of the box and learn how to do it a little, a little differently. Does that help anybody in this house? Write down your goals. Should we write down your goals? Habakkuk, and I'm, I'm coming to the end of the end. So if we get that real cool music, we'll get ready to play it just a minute. Um, Habakkuk 2 and 2 says, write the vision down. Though it tarry, wait for it. It will come to pass. Okay, so what, 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 is, a, what, what is a vision? One translation says revelation. We know that Proverbs 29, 18 says that without a revelation or without a vision, the people perish. And that, that word in the Hebrew means they throw off restraint. Without some goals in your life, you're going to operate in areas that are lawless. Am I helping anybody? I mean, when you graduate from high school and you can't read or write, and you're living in a neighborhood that, that odds are, if you've not learned to, to do what God's called you to do and be what God's called you to be, you're allowed to form some bad habits and to ignore restraint. Am I helping anybody? And that's why God gives us this word. But go with me real quick, and I will conclude with this. That clock says 1120. It's 920. Whoa. Okay, here we go. Jacob was a punk. And if I'd have met him, I'd have kicked his tail. If I could have. I would take him Pastor Todd with me. He was a punk. He was a spoiled, rotten punk that manipulated his brother, manipulated his father, took something very precious that was not his. It didn't change the fact that God can use punks. God can use punks. So he goes to his uncles, and he sees his cousin, whoa, gorgeous, asked for a hand in marriage, works seven years. On the eighth year, the first day, he marries her, only to learn that he had too much to drink the night before, and he married the sister. Don't ask me how he got confused, but he married the sister. Woke up, hangover, frustrated, went back to his uncle. His uncle changed his wages ten times. His uncle was smarter than him as being a crook. And so he said, oh, in our custom, we, the oldest has to be given away first. Well, how do I get Rachel? Okay, here's what you do. You want Rachel? You, you, you work seven more years. So I don't know if he had to work seven more and then get Rachel or if he got Rachel at the beginning had to work. I'm not sure how that all plays out. Either way, he has sowed 14 years of his life in, in, in a bride. And then there seems to be some kind of contention. He comes. He's the new kid on the block. He doesn't have any finances. He has nothing to invest. Jacob puts him over his flock. And what is so ironic, when Jacob lived at home, he was a sissy. Yeah, Esau was the great hunter, 
Esau was the man, and Jacob was helping his mom cook beans. You, you read it. It's right there. He had soft skin. He was, he, was, he was a wuss. But all of a sudden now, he is raising all these cattle and raising all these goats and raising all these sheep. And, and, Je- and Laban's laborers have an attitude with Jacob. And so Jacob goes to Laban, and he said, I've been working 20 years for you, seven for one wife, seven for the other, six, 20 years. I made you wealthy. I made you wise. You've changed my wages 10 times. I'm leaving. Well, I, wish I, had time some, I wish I had time to focus on the thought that maybe sometimes you just need to let your boss know that you're looking other places. And if you're a good employee, he may give you a little bit more to make you stay. That's what Jacob did. I'm out of here. I'm going back to my mom. And Laban said, what would it take, what would it take for you to stay? And Jacob says, okay, here's what it would take. If you'll give me all the speckled and spotted and the black sheep. If you'll give me the speckled and spotted and the black sheep, I kind of feel like that's Harvest's ministry to the drug addict. That God loves the black sheep just like he loves the white sheep. But Jacob goes after the, the speckled and spotted and the, and, the, and the black sheep. I did not know this until last night. I have, I've questioned, you'd be surprised how many people I've kept questioned about this particular passage of Scripture that they cannot explain it. But Jacob took some trees, three different trees, and he skint the trees so that the trees had spots and the trees were speckled. And then he put the trees right there where they came to water because the Bible says at the time of watering was when they made it. There was something about this speckled, spotted post that when the sheep and the goats and the cows begin to reproduce, all of them were speckled and spotted. And that's the only way, that's the only way to explain that is that Jacob wrote the vision down. And as, think about that for a minute, changed the whole course of his finances, changed the whole course of his family. He restored to his brother. He honored his family. And I, I'm telling you, I think that, I think that, if you don't have a vision or revelation, get one. If you don't have goals, get one. If you don't have a list of things you want to do, get one. Find some things that you can actually take on and accomplish without doing a whole lot. Fast, pray, learn how to listen to God. Just a thought, just a possibility. Start speaking good things, start speaking positive things, what God has to say and God wants to do. And I was going to, con- I was going to conclude with... I'd like to see some things happen in 2015 that did not happen in 2014. I got the plans for our new church, our new facility, looked at it, drove around the parking lot praying for it. Really would, in 2015, like to see us relocate to a brand-new sanctuary. I really would like to see that happen. I would like to be the first one to take a sledgehammer, knock a hole in any wall, just to show my frustration for the low ceilings that we have put. Hello, I'm tired of changing tile. I'm tired of changing water buckets. I'm, I'm tired... I really would like to see this facility sold and a new facility be brought forth. So, thanks. But you know what? I, I've, I don't, when you're praying tongues, I'm not sure. If you're praying tongues with an attitude, can you cuss in tongues? I mean, I, that's a question probably for Marcus Lamb or Benny Hanna, uh, Benny Hanna, him too. Okay. But... But now, if I said what I was thinking, you would really think that was funny. I ain't going to do it. But you know what? Um, 
I honor this house. I'm, I honor you. You're the house. I'm not in love with the chair. I'm not in love with the aquarium. I'm not, this is a nice podium, custom made for me. I'm not, this could all crash and burn tomorrow. The building could catch on fire. Call me, let me get a chance to get my base out of the office. And if God tells you to burn this place down, just make sure nobody sees you. And don't do it. Pastor Ron said, don't do it. But I would like, you know what? We've lowered the price. We've got a, we've got a hot dog realtor. We've got Daystar helping us. We've got all the right. Somebody made an offer. It fell through. But I would really, and I, I, don't, know how to, I don't know how to manipulate or negotiate God. So God said, this kind of faith only comes with much prayer and fasting. So I'm committing myself. You don't have to get involved. I'm committing myself, tomorrow, beginning tomorrow morning, I'm going on a 21-day fast. I'm not going to drink any beer, and I'm not going to eat any sugar. No honey buns, no peanut butter and jelly, no cinnamon rolls. This is all going to happen tomorrow, because I happen to know there's some cinnamon rolls left at the house, and I've been taking about a half a stick of butter and getting it all good buttery gooey and, and putting that with a big old glass of milk. If you're not hungry by now, you ain't right, and you ain't. But I, I, want, I, want to, I want to make a statement. I want to make a statement to my wife, to my children, to my house. I love this house. I love what God is doing. I have watched God overnight fill a building. I've, I've been in revivals all over the nation. I've seen revival time come. Hundreds of people out of the church in, in one meeting. God has the ability to do that. And I believe that God wants this church to be healthy. I think God wants this church to grow. I just feel like we're, we're, we're kind of trapped here and, uh, and, and maybe, maybe, maybe 2015 is the year. Maybe somebody's driving right now and say, that would be a good place for a Red Lobster. Hey, that'd be a good place for a, another, another motel. And so I'm, I'm going to push myself, and I'm going to, and Pastor, I'll tell you, it's a big deal. I eat sweets every single night. That's, that's why I could, I'm padded here. See, I, I don't get hurt anymore. I've got padding in my belly. Those of you that, that are listening by podcast, Facebook, you need to come and join us. We have a lot of fun, great worship. Those of you that are here this morning, let us pray together. A nudge, a hint, a riddle, a rumor, part of a conversation. Let our heart and spirit be open to anything divine and revelatory you want to bring our way. If it's the job, if it's the marriage, if it's the finances, if it's the social, if it's the ministry, if it's the car. Begin to open our eyes and let us see and let us begin to operate and, and focus in the goals that you have given us, in the personal goals that we have in our life, in our marriage, in our children, in our business, in our worship, in our ministry, in our tools, in our seed. We turn 2015 over to you, and we're not going to expect you to follow us. We 